0: Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this February 2012 episode of the podcast, we're going to focus on beginning genealogy. We've got some great tips, tools, products, and websites to get you started. Our first stop will be the Genealogy Insider blog with Diane Haddad. She's going to tell us about a brand new website that features one of the first documents beginners are going to work with the census, And then in our top tip segment, Family Tree Magazine author and instructor Lisa Alza will be back to cover some genealogy fundamentals from her new article called Matters of Principle. In our 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment, we're going to take a look at Macavo. It's a fairly new website that strives to simplify family history search online. In the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Carrie Scott will be here to cover new and existing courses that are ideal for beginners and those who just might want to brush up on their genealogical skills. And then Carrie's going to be back with another edition of the Social Media Minute. And finally, we will check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. She's the publisher of Family Tree Magazine. She's going to be here to share more great resources that are going to help everyone achieve genealogical success. So there's a lot to cover. Let's get to it. Our first stop is the genealogy news with Diane Haddad. Well, we're going to kick off this episode with news from the blogosphere, and here to give us the scoop is the genealogy insider blogger, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane.
1: Hi, Lisa.
0: Oh, my gosh. There was so much news coming out of the recent RootsTech conference, and I was really impressed at this huge and colorful booth display that Bright Solid had, and I think that was all in celebration of their entry into the U.S. market. So tell us, you've been talking on your blog about the newest genealogy site that they've launched here in the U.S.
1: Yeah, it's a whole different approach um, for Americans to delivering census records They have started a website called censusrecords.com, and they are going to have the entire run of the U.S. Census, um, 1790 through 1930 and 1940 when it comes out, and you can either subscribe or, if you search and find your ancestors and you want to buy one census record, you can. You purchase credits and then you use a certain number of those credits to either view that record or download it to your computer.
0: And this pay-as-you-go concept I know is quite familiar to those of our listeners, uh, say, in the U.K. or in Australia. But um, here in the U.S., we tend to have this full-year subscription. What do you think that's going to mean for not just existing genealogists, but I'm thinking about the newbies, people who are just getting started
1: and I think that's um those are the people who will be most attracted to this um to this model. We actually had seasoned genealogists reply to our blog post saying, "Well, why wouldn't you just subscribe and then you can get all the census <laughs> records and I think that people who are just starting out in genealogy will say, "Well, you know, I don't know how into this I'm gonna be, and you know I can't afford a whole subscription. I just you know want to find them in the nineteen thirty census and then we'll see." So I think that those are the people who will um, be attracted to the pay-as-you-go.
0: Absolutely. And I do imagine that there are people, believe it or not, who are non-genealogists, who would still have reason to want to get into the census, and that this gives them kind of a dip in your fingers, get what you need, and, and get out kind of a thing. Sure. So pretty interesting. Well, it's exciting, I think, to see that the market is not getting smaller, as some were concerned, but it's expanding.
1: Right, I think it's exciting. It means more people, you know, can potentially get into doing genealogy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And of course, uh, MyHeritage has purchased World Vital Records, and they are now entering the U.S. market. So um, it's definitely growing. Now there was a whole bunch of other news going on. I know you've been talking about it on your blog about the Social Security Death Index. Tell us what's been going on.
1: Right. The um, Social Security Death Index is, of course, the index where um, genealogists make a lot of use of this index to find um, their ancestors, date of death, Social Security number, so they can order the Social Security application. And this um, this file has been a source of controversy in the public at large after news reports that um, people committing tax fraud have used Social Security numbers of recently deceased children um, to put on tax forms and falsely claim them as dependents. So um, it's caused a lot of families um, a lot of heartache in trying to get this corrected. And so there's a, a public movement to try to limit or eliminate access to the SSDI.
0: And yet it's really interesting because it is the SSDI, in fact, that could prevent that if they simply go in, run the check, and see, oh, this doesn't match up, or this is somebody who shouldn't be filing. It right. seems to me like that would be the answer.
1: <laughs> right. And a, a lot of businesses use the SSDI that way to yeah. prevent fraud financial institutions, banks, um, to make sure that people are you know, who they say they are. And um, the genealogists who are launching this campaign, Stop ID Theft Now, are saying that um, the IRS could easily solve this problem by um, changing procedures to, you know, flag the returns that have these social security numbers on them for um, closer inspection and prevent this kind of ID theft from happening in the first place, and. Um, there was a hearing before Congress last year where the the head of the IRS actually apologized to several taxpayers who'd been victims of ID theft because of their very poor handling of these cases. You know, in which people had to call back and call back and um, you know get a lot of red tape and keep resending forms and were treated very rudely by IRS employees. Mm-hmm. And if you know the IRS could just handle these cases better. <laughs> Um, genealogists are saying that that is the true solution to this ID theft problem.
0: Versus kind of that knee-jerk reaction of, oh, well, close it down, you right. know, which, of course, impacts so many people across the board. So I know that um, the folks over at, at FGS, and I think it's called RPAC, right? Are mm-hmm. they doing a petition online?
1: Yes, um, they have put a petition online. There's a tool on the, um, the White House website, actually, where people can register their petitions. And you have to create an account with the site, and then you can go sign the petitions. And so that is the... Um, that's the mechanism that through which the petition has been created. They're doing other things, too, but um, they are hoping for, I think it was 25,000 signatures by March 8th on this petition. So, um, so they're very encouraging people to go read the petition and then to sign it.
0: Okay, well great. well we'll have um, links to Diane's blog posts on these both these topics so that you can investigate them further and see how uh, you might want to be involved. But it's really great I think that there's awareness that this is happening and that rather than just seeing one day the SSDI disappears and it's been such a valuable tool for all of us for so long. Um, as always, never a dull moment. Thank you so much, Diane.
1: You're welcome.
0: Well, in this February episode, we're talking about how you can get started in your family history and grow that family tree. And Lisa also wrote a great article recently for the magazine called Matters of Principle. Now, she's got five basic genealogy tenets that you should follow to watch your family tree blossom. And I've got Lisa here on the show to tell us all about it. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. You know, we've been talking in this episode about how people can get started in their family history, what are the basics, um, how do they grow it, you know, and what are the – it's a good foundation to lay as you get started. What were you trying to address here in this article about these five basic tenets?
2: Well, I was really trying to, of course – target beginners, but of course, even those of us who've been doing this for a long time, I've been doing this for 22 years, sometimes we need to be reminded too about some of the, the very basics of family history research or genealogy. And so I, you know, I think, uh, you know just uh, to get across uh, some of the uh, pitfalls or some of the the basic things, things that I would have liked to have known when I started uh, and and that's that 's how I approached the article oh
0: and that 's perfect because I think all all of us have come and said, "Oh, if I only knew this back then, when I started this, it would have been so much easier and one of the first tenants that you have here, which is one that um you don't hear that much about when you're first starting, but boy, when you look back, you realize how important it is, and that's preparing a good foundation. Um, tell us what you mean by that.
2: Well, when I started my genealogy, I didn't have the luxury of the internet, didn't have ancestry.com, didn't have the wonderful Family Search website or the Ellis Island website. So I really did start at the very basics from scratch. And I think people just starting today uh, get so hung up on just typing their names into the internet or into a database and they don't really do all the homework beforehand. So what I mean by that is, you know, number one, talking to your relatives. Uh, you know, sitting down with your oldest relative or whoever you can find, even if it's you know distant cousins. You know, we can connect with people on, on online now through social media. But find somebody that they can they can give you basic information. You know, start digging through the boxes and the attics and the basements and and looking for the documents. And then also, you know, not only that. But, you start with what, you know, start with yourself and work backwards, you you know, sketch out your basic family tree. And those are sort of the first steps before you even type a thing on on the computer. You should should really uh, address those issues, sitting down with your relatives and writing down what you already know.
0: That's such a great point because the internet's going to be there, <laughs> but the the older relatives may not be for very long, and that's why that's so critical, right? It's got to happen first thing.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Now you talk about in tenant number two, you call it kill the weeds. Okay, so weeds can kind of grow up amongst the roots of our family tree. Um, what are some of the weeds that we should be plucking out right when they get started?
2: Well, first of all when you do talk to your relatives, uh, that's not to say everything they tell you is a hundred percent true or that it's gospel. I mean, we all hear the myths of, you know, our uh, name was changed at Ellis Island or we're, we're related, you know, to King Lou the 14th or whatever, whatever the myth is in your family. So you have to sort of weed out those things. Also, uh, you know, you're going to have uh, inconsistent facts. Maybe place names or, or dates don't match. Uh, maybe you, you you know we know that that even though it's an official document, that doesn't mean there aren't errors in it. So you need to you know really have a good way of keeping track of all of your data, and then being able to logically sit down and compare it, and then take out what what may not not. Not make sense or or at least uh, put it aside and and try to focus on on the material that that does make sense or that's logical so you always hear stories of People uh, maybe you know dying before they were even born or something with with weird, weird weird things that happen, or they you know they appear in the census at one age and but that doesn't make sense because of other other research you did so you have to really try to weed out the, the the bad the bad
0: data we have to really use our common sense, don't we, and just stay logical about it you know you can get in that mode of everything is the truth, and of course it's not, and so we always have to use our good common sense first. Very, very true. And I love the pullout quote that you have here. Um, It says, the most accurate and useful family trees are built from the ground up with properly cited sources. For the beginner, where do they look to find out how to properly cite a source? Because that is key. If we don't know where we got this information, we may end up either doing it over again or not being able to retrieve it when something comes up and kind of challenges it um, where do we look for that kind of guidance
2: well of course the the bible is elizabeth shone mills uh, evidence and evidence explain books and you can get those uh uh, the references are in the article on how to get those but uh those are the the sort of the the cite your sources uh, bibles for, for genealogists also the the board for certification for genealogists ha- they have a great website that has a lot of information about how to properly cite your sources and uh the correct formats and and, and people get hung up on the exact format but but i think As long as you, you, you have, you know, where you got the information. When the record was created, uh, you know, title, volume, page numbers of a book, uh, creator of the source, and when you accessed a particular source. So, for example, if I was at Cornell University Library and I had a particular book, you know, I would put the date that I was there, and put the name of the library, and put you know, and and do the proper citation for the book so that I know exactly where I got the information. Same thing applies if you're you're interviewing your Aunt Betty. You want to have a date and have her name and have it spelled correctly and and have it documented as, as, as properly as you possibly can.
0: Absolutely. Great advice. And, you know, one of the tips that I like to give is that when you're working with a book, and oftentimes we're making a photocopy of the pages, go ahead and take a photocopy of the cover page. That has all the source information, the author, the year, the name, the publisher, all that good stuff is there. And when you're recording an interview, let's say with your aunt, you can start off the recording and just cite it right there verbally. Here's who I'm talking to, here's where we are, here's the date, here's what we're gonna cover, and um, because, boy, that works a lot better than, than taking sticky notes. <laughs> sticky notes, you know, get moved around and we, we lose track. So those are just simple things that can keep things in order and, boy, save you a whole lot of headache later.
2: And also today, um, with our smartphones and our digital, you know, it's easier, you know, we don't even have to be near a photocopier. You can even just simply, you know, snap uh, an image of the, the cover page or, or uh, and, and, and many of our smartphones have the quarters built in so it's very easy to to get that information in there
0: exactly less and less reason not to do it
2: (laughs) well if you
0: are looking for those five fundamentals for growing your family tree lisa also has them for you they are in her article matters of principle and this is in the spring 2012 discover your roots special issue of family tree magazine always fun to talk with you lisa thank you for all the great tips thanks lisa In this month's 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment, we're going to be exploring Macavo. And here to tell us more about it is Michael J. LeClerc, Chief Genealogist at Macavo. Welcome to the show, Michael.
3: Hi, Lisa. Thank you.
0: You know, um, in the mission statement that kind of runs across the front page of Macavo's homepage on the website, it says Discovering Billions of Ancestors and Automating Family Research. Now, Billions of Ancestors sounds pretty ambitious. How does Macavo help the genealogists do that?
3: Well, we are um, the largest free internet search engine out there specifically for genealogy, where you can use general search engines like Google or Yahoo for research. I don't know about you, but whenever I throw uh, an ancestor's name out there, I get the first five hits are usually Facebook pages, some YouTube videos, a couple of LinkedIn's none of whom are likely to be my guy who died in 1810. And what Mocavo does is we only crawl genealogy websites. So with other, other search engines, you have to filter out the, 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 the garbage entries for genealogy. With Mocavo, you don't have to do that. We've, we, we don't include those in our results. So you'll only get results that are pertinent to genealogy.
0: Now, how does Macavo know that any particular website is a family history-related website?
3: There are um, different criteria that we use. I mean, some of them are pretty obvious. Uh, things like Find a Grave, pretty high up there on our list. We look for things like cemetery uh, inscription sites with cemetery inscriptions, sites with transcriptions of other kinds of records or published. Uh, we, we do. We have a lot of blogs where people are talking about their family history, And we crawl those as well. Um, A lot of the sites that we crawl are actually suggested to us by our users. There's a place on the homepage, uh, mocavo.com slash suggest, where people can tell us, hey, I think this is a great website. Please go out and check it and add it to your list. And we do that anytime. anybody Anybody can suggest anything to us.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're kind of um, pre-ranking genealogy sites, obviously, and in fact, drawing right. those out as the only results. What Would would it be that if you go into Google that the search result may be there, but it may be buried down the list, or are you actually going to find a result that Google will not find?
3: Well, we will likely uh, a Two part answer. Will likely Google will likely find the the answer, but it probably is buried maybe two or three hundred pages down. Right. Um, whereas with us, it's going to float much higher to the top. And also, our um, advanced search to search tools for our subscribers allow really targeted searching that really narrows down your results and really brings things right up to the top.
0: Now, does it change anything in terms of um, a lot of people say, "Gosh, you know, I'll, I'll search." with uh, a search engine, and of course, it's not going to go into specific records on the record websites. We you know, look at Fold3 and Ancestry and World Vital Records. Um, right. Can Macavo do anything differently from that, or is it just indicating that there is genealogical information there?
3: Uh, well, I'll, for, for websites where things are located behind member walls or paywalls, we can't really go go past those. Those are blocked from any search engine. Neither would Google. Correct. I'll yeah. uh, be able to provide those answers for you. Uh, unless they have for the specific areas, like Ancestry has some areas that are set up so that the, um, the, the search engine spiders can crawl across them and bring back results, you'll get those results from Mocavo as well. But any specific given database with original records, at the moment, no. Although we are exploring ways where we can help some of these organizations drive more traffic to their site by getting the indexes at least on Mocavo. But right now, uh, there's not a lot of that.
0: Okay. Now, I know that when you first get to the website, um, it says you can sign up for a free account. I know you can do an initial search without doing that, but tell us what's the advantage of signing up for the actual
3: account? Uh, it's signing up at just... Uh, Opens it it helps us get more information to you. One of the things, for example, you can do with your free account is you can upload a JEDCOM file, which you can either make public or keep private just to you. You don't necessarily have to share it with the world. But if you do share your JEDCOM file, then in addition to the searches you do, the Mokavo search engine will run in the background and will periodically send you a message that says, "Hey, you might want to try these results. They might." be accurate for you, for people in your database. Um, Now, personally, I'm very cynical about stuff like that (laughs) because I've had bad experiences with other websites that send you this stuff, and most of it is like complete junk. Um, And before I even joined the company, I, I said, okay, well, let me try this. And the very first message I got had a link to new information from someone off my JETCOM file that I'd uploaded that I'd never seen before. Brand new information uh, helped open up some new leads for me. And the second one also had some information. I'm not saying 100% of the emails you get have accurate hits, but it's nice to know that the search engine is working in the background and I don't have to do anything. And while those results might come up in a regular search, there's no way to know. There might be two or three pages down. You know, this is kind of just a way to, to bring some extra attention to it, and uh, you don't have to do any work for it.
0: hmm Great. Now, I notice also you have Macabo Plus. What mm-hmm. is going premium going to do for the genealogist?
3: Well, uh, a couple things. You you have um, more targeted search functionality. You can look for specific first names and last names and variables. For example, in uh, in Macabo Plus, if you typed in the name Andrew, you would also get hits with Andy and Drew. So variations on the first name, as well as the typical variations on last name with um, sounds like and things like that. You can also do a lot more combined searches of, uh, you know, um, a first name, a last name, dates, places. You can look for specific dates of birth and death within certain ranges of years or months. And you can add keywords to the search. So you can really get a really focused result. There's also some content that we're adding that is Uh, specific to the subscribers as opposed to the users. Um, General registered users will have access. For example, we just launched last week. We started offering the SSDI directly in our database as opposed to crawling one of the other public sources for it. Mm -hmm. We also have a deal with the Allen County Public Library where we are providing access to their digital library. They have a large number of books that they've digitized, and they've been available on Internet Archive for a long time. But for genealogists, Internet Archive is not exactly the most user-friendly search engine. And so uh, we can provide you more targeted access into that data and content and bring up the, the actual pages of the books as well.
0: So it sounds like you're really um, aiming to be kind of a, a conduit for the genealogist in terms of connecting with information that's out there on the web. Um, pretty amazing. Um, what's coming down in the future from Macavo?
3: Uh, well, uh, one of the things we, we're working on is a way to help societies get stuff online. And there are a lot of smaller societies and organizations out there that don't necessarily have the technical know-how to create a website. They, they might have the technical know-how to use the keyboard to transcribe records. Yeah. <laughs> then they print them out and put them on their library shelves. And so one of the things we'd like to do is kind of help them Get them online. Now, unlike other organizations, we're not looking to buy the information from them or, or, you know, own it in any way, shape or form. The, The data that gets contributed is always belongs to whoever shares it. We're just trying to act as a conduit and make it easier for people to find the information.
0: Great. Well, if you want to give Macavo a try and um, see what it can do for your search results, you can head over to macavo.com. And, of course, we'll have information in the show notes as well. Um, Interesting. We wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks, Lisa. So, in this month's Family Tree University segment, we've invited Carrie Scott back to talk a little bit more about the ongoing education opportunities and how somebody who may be starting new in genealogy could get involved. Hi, Carrie. Hi. So, you have a lot of different offerings, and I know they come in, in different sizes, shapes, and colors. Tell us uh, when somebody is new to genealogy and they're heading over to the Family Tree University website, where they could start, what are their options?
4: Well, I think we try and think about different increments where people can learn in ways and learn the amount that works for them wherever they are in their research. So the smallest increment is an hour. We have webinars twice a month. Usually earlier in the month we have a general genealogical research topic, and then later in the month we have a state research topic uh, where you learn. It's kind of a crash course in that state's records given by experts on that state. Um, so webinars are the first place to start because those are an hour long. We also have something fairly new, our power courses, which are meant to be about a movie's worth, about two hours. So the time it would take to sit and watch a movie is the time that you devote. And unlike the webinars, which are one night, and you, if you can't make it that night, you can always watch the recording later, but they're generally on a specific day, the power courses work where you sign up for a particular week so that week you have access to two hours worth of content and it might be two one-hour videos on a particular topic or it might be a 1-hour video, a half-an-hour video and some reading or two half hours and a whole bunch of reading, but it all adds up to about 2 hours of stuff on a very focused topic. And the idea with those is that you pick a week that you know you have about 2 hours of free time and people can't always plan that ahead. I know in my family I'm I'm lucky if I get 2 hours in a in a particular week, but You do that, and you you focus on a specific topic in a way that allows you to use it right away. So if you're working on immigration records and you're at that point, then you sign up for the immigration records one, and you find things that you can immediately take out your notes or your files and apply them right away. So that's the next increment. Then we have our four-week courses, which are the most popular ones and also the ones we have the most of, and those are... Um, we have a session every two weeks where people can sign up and the courses rotate so you can check every two weeks and see what we have that's a fit for you. And those are courses where you do about a lesson a week. There's reading, there's exercises, quizzes, um, additional websites and videos and other things depending on the course and so forth. And that allows you to that have a, a little bit more traditional learning experience in that you're you're packing a lot of stuff into that four weeks. You really can develop significant expertise in that four weeks because those classes are really in-depth. We also have a few master classes, and those are eight-week courses where people can really go deep and learn a great deal about a particular topic or a variety of subsets, like immigration or immigration master class. When you come out of that, that eight-week session, you know everything you need to know about immigration records and how to really apply them in multiple branches of your family. So that's a more comprehensive approach for when you have time to really go deep. So it sounds like in in many cases
0: the first question is not, you know, which one should I start with, but how much time do
4: I have? Right, and, and what do I want to achieve? What yeah. Do I do? I have, a, have I hit a, an immigrant finally in my tree and I need to figure out what that means and where I go with it? Or am I starting out with the Irish side of my family that I've never touched because I've been working on the Germans and I don't know where to start with the Irish? Um, So some of it is that, but also how much time you have right now because the key variable for people who are taking online classes in particular is time. The great thing about these is you don't have to get on an airplane and travel. It took me eight hours to get to RootsTech, and it'll take eight hours to get back. Um, you don't have to do this with this, so you can really think about what you have to devote and then think about your topic and put those two together. Well, terrific.
0: For somebody who wants to then look at the course selections and maybe figure out how much time
4: that they have, uh, tell us the website address. FamilyTreeUniversity.com, and you can click on Courses. And also on the right-hand side of your screen, we always have a list of the upcoming courses for the next session. It's a big orange button. You can't miss it. Terrific. Great. Thanks so much, Carrie. Thank you. Hi everyone, this is Carrie Scott, the social media expert at Family Tree Magazine. You no longer have to attend genealogy conferences in person to get something out of them. I'll tell you about a tip that will allow you to participate in conferences from home in this edition of the Social Media Minute. You may have heard that the RootsTech conference earlier this month had nearly 4,200 attendees but you may not have known that thousands more participated from home. Those home-based people could chat real-time with those at the conference thanks to a tool called hashtags. A hashtag is a special word assigned to an event like RootsTech that has a pound sign at the front. It allows people on Twitter to group their messages or tweets together based on that hashtag. Others can then follow or search for that hashtag and follow all of the tweets that relate to that event. That means everyone who's experiencing an event like a conference, whether at home or in person, can read the tweets of everyone else who's at the same event. Hashtags are used for people to comment on what's happening or how they're feeling about what's being said, to spread the word about a particularly good speaker or session, to find someone to go to lunch with, and anything else you can think of that might be helpful at a conference. It's a great way to meet new people if you're attending a conference in person and a great way to participate if you're stuck at home. You don't have to have a Twitter account to search a particular hashtag, although you will need one to join in if you want to add tweets of your own to the conversation. RootsTech isn't the only conference that uses hashtags. Family Tree University's upcoming spring virtual conference will have its own hashtag and it will allow you to follow along and interact with other virtual conference goers. Check out our podcast notes page, For information, including a link to the Twitter search function that allows you to follow hashtags. You can find out more about our spring virtual conference at FamilyTreeUniversity.com.
0: episode we have been talking about how the beginner gets going in family history and genealogy research and we are going to before we finish up this program head back to the publisher's desk and to Allison Dolan. Hi Allison. Hi Lisa. Okay so we've been talking about so many different avenues of genealogy and and how the beginner gets started and gets involved and gets educated. Lots of great ideas. What kinds of resources would you recommend?
5: Well, we have a new issue of Family Tree Magazine that is out on the newsstands now just for beginners. It's a special edition called Discover Your Roots. You can find it in Barnes & Noble, Costco, as well as Books A Million, and of course on our shopfamilytree.com website. But I love this issue because it's really our opportunity to initiate beginners into the exciting world of discovering your roots
0: exactly and you know of course we're here at roots tech 2012 and there are a wide range of people and i'm finding that there are many beginners here as well and and that's kind of can be daunting but the magazine sounds great boy we could tuck that in our purse or our bag and and read it on the plane in the doctor's office and start to get up to speed right away You've also got the virtual conference coming again. This is the second one. It just seems like yesterday that we did the one in August. Tell us about what you're planning for 2012. Well, the spring 2012 virtual conference
5: is going to be March 9th through 11th. You're right. It does seem like this the summer one last year was just a, a little while ago, and we're already um, talking about spring 2012. It, it's going to be a really great lineup of pre-recorded classes and chats and um, message board discussions and all kinds of um, great conversations and learning opportunities and you know I think the great thing about this kind of a, a virtual conference being at a conference like RootsTech where we are is amazing because you've got all these people and this energy and and there there's so much great stuff to learn but It's really hard for so many people to, you know, either they can't afford it or just don't have the time to take out of their busy schedules um, to be able to come to an event like this. And virtual conference, you don't even have to get out of your pajamas. You can just sit at home and um, in your bunny slippers and participate in, you know, all of this great learning. And so it's a really great experience in that regard, too. And it's affordable. You know, you don't have the expenses of travel or parking or any of those hassles. You know, you can just you know, register and log on your computer and for three days it's um you know being part it really does feel like being part of a, a community.
0: Well, it does because you've got the chats going on, so you're seeing what people are chatting about. Now, last time we did kind of a virtual exhibit hall. Are you going to be doing that again? Absolutely. So um, it'll be an opportunity just like at our
5: in-person conference to be able to learn about products and services, and we do contests, and there's a swag bag of things that, (laughs) a virtual bag, not a real bag, of course, um, of items that you'll be able to download. So, you know, we really do kind of replicate that conference experience in, in an online kind of way, and I think we were really excited to see we felt like there was a a a good opportunity to do something for this for the people who you know it just isn't realistic for them to be at so many in-person conferences, and that was exactly the feedback we got from the people who attended last summer, so really excited to be able to do this on a more regular basis, so in addition to the spring conference, we'll be doing one
0: in the fall, too. Well, and for a lot of people who are new to genealogy, the idea of jumping into a conference and wandering around a big hall where you don't know anybody, this really gives you a wonderful introduction to the content and the type of education you're going to get and like you say for those who can't be there in person you know all the better so tell us just real quick before we wrap up maybe some of the topics that people could be looking forward to in some of these these video presentations
5: well there's three tracks of classes one is technology and what would a virtual conference be without a (laughs) track on technology? And so um, we'll have some great classes on, you know, Internet resources and um, how to harness the power of the tech tools in your research. We also have an ethnic track. Um, Those are obviously strong research areas for a lot of people where they need the help. So we know that that's an important priority for us putting together a conference like this and then just general research strategies um lots of just the nuts and bolts of using records and you know different methodology that that can advance your research
0: you know, finally, I was thinking so many people today are Facebook friends. Wouldn't it be kind of fun if you attend the virtual conference and people were, you know, tweeting and putting on their Facebook posts, um, here's what I'm doing, here's what I'm learning. You really could hobnob in the hallways if you wanted to and and share the experience. I, I know I'm looking forward to being part of it. And, um, boy, to think that you're going to do two this year. That's pretty cool. So the next one's in the fall. We don't have exact dates yet, or do we? September. Mark your calendars. (laughs) Okay, you heard it here first. Allison, as always, thanks so much. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me for this February 2012 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news on a daily basis. You'll find that at blog.familytreemagazine.com slash insider. Then next, head on over to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode which will include information and website links for everything we covered on today's episode, including how to get your copy of the special Spring 2012 Discover Your Roots issue, a link to Macavo, and uh, all the great offerings over at Family Tree University. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcasts, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. Both of those shows are also available through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.